As I reflected on the uh, service last week, two things ran to the front of my mind. Last week, if you weren't here, we started the series Awake, talking about the dreams that God gives us that live in us not in the slumber of night, but in the clarity of day. Those dreams that God has for our life, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. But the second greatest thing is God has a plan. God has a dream. He has a destiny. He has a design for your life. And as I, as I just prayed over the week, it became so clear to me what the work the Holy Spirit started doing last week with us. This statement came to my mind. God is washing the dust off of our dreams with tears. Now, if you have a pen and you want to take notes, I would write that down. God is washing the dust off of our dreams with tears. The other thing that the Holy Spirit is doing on a church level and an individual level is expanding our horizons. You know the prayer of Jabez where the tent boundaries are pulled up and expanded? God is the visual, the visionary visual boundaries that we've had in our lives individually and corporately as a church, God is upstaking them and moving them further and planting them down again so that we can see past the things that, that have been as far as we can see thus far. He's given us a new horizon, a new boundary, a new border. When, when you and I became believers, most of us didn't know how to dream. We don't, know, we don't know how to find God's plan or God's dream for our life. The average person has approximately 3 million thoughts per year. Now, how do you know which ones of those thoughts are God's thoughts, which one are your thoughts, and which ones are, are planted inside of you to, to tear you down from the enemy? Some are daydreams, some are pipe dreams, some are nightmares, and some are fantasies. How do you know the difference in those things in God's dream for your life? This morning, I want to share with you for a few minutes on discerning the dream. How do you discern the dream that God has for you? Look at Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 20. I want to read a, probably a very familiar story to you, but I want to emphasize something different in it that you've probably not noticed. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Happy Valentine's Day. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. What I want you to do as you look at this short little account is not look at what happened, but how it happened. Not what was God doing, but what was the process God used to do what he was doing, that may help us understand the process that we go through to discern the dream that God has for us. It can seem like the point of that story is to get all the animals named. You know, it's almost like animals gone wild. 
we got all these animals running loose and nobody knows what to call any of them. Stop that tall one with the long neck. Get that big round one. There's a bug. I don't know what that is, but it's climbing up my leg. It can seem like the problem was, what do we call all this stuff? The point of the story was not to name all the animals. The point of the story was for Adam to find a wife. He had to look around. He had to search and look at all the animals as they came by. He had to explore. And the more he explored, the more he went through the process, the clearer it got. There isn't one other thing on earth that God created that's like me. None of these are like me. Why didn't God just tell him? Why didn't God just say, you're lonely? I'm going to create Eve and I'll name the animals myself. There's something about the mystery of the unity of the husband and wife that God wanted Adam to discover. Adam had to find God's dream for him. He had to find God's plan for him. Somehow in the naming of the animals, as each one went by, the incompleteness of the human heart could not be satisfied by anything else that God created. The longing in Adam's heart was still there with no solution. Adam could not connect what God had put in him with what God had put around him. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, that's not after sin, that's before sin. Adam was created incomplete before sin. And as he looked around, that longing inside of his heart couldn't be satisfied by anything else around. And so, this is the process that God took Adam through. The longing in Adam's heart was still there. When God said it's not good for a man to be alone... The destiny of the human race was discovered. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Finding your dream is connecting what God put in you with what God put around you. Finding God's dream for your life is connecting what God put in you with what God put around you. But to make that connection and find the bridge, you have to search and you have to explore and you have to dream. What it really amounts to is a perspective shift. Discerning the dream is shifting from one way of looking at something to another. It's trying to see yourself not as you see yourself, but trying to see yourself as God sees you. How does God look at you? He knows the dream. He sees the dream. He created the dream in you. And He created you. The discernment of the dream then lies in the work of God inside you. What is God doing in you? If God tailor-made you for the dream, then the clues of the dream lie underneath the fabric of the DNA of your own life. So when you want to discover, when you want to discern God's dream for you, you have to begin to look inside. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? The kingdom of God is within you. It begins, though, in a strange place or maybe an unexpected place. It, be it begins in curiosity. 
Any of you that have children, even if you can't remember your own childhood, are fully aware that somehow God has dropped in the little brain of every human child curiosity. Every kid is curious. You don't have to teach a kid to be curious. A child is relentlessly curious. You never have to tell a kid, hey, touch that. You ever take a kid in the store? Now touch all the glass. Touch all the breakables. No. They'll find them by themselves. Now pick this up off the ground and eat it. Eat it. Eat that. Stick your fingers in this. Oh, no. You don't have to teach a kid to taste or smell or touch or hear or question or ask or anything. You have to teach them not to. Where does that come from? I think it comes from God. In childhood, the thing that actually brings a child from infancy to adulthood is curiosity. The curiosity of the child drives the child to find the things that he or she needs to survive. Curiosity is a function of humanity in childhood. But curiosity in adulthood is a function of humility. I have to be humble enough to learn. I have to be humble enough to be curious. I have to keep searching those things out. As we get older, we want to be grown up so bad that we tend to lose our imagination and lose our curiosity, reasoning that there's some things better not to know. I mean, after all, curiosity killed the cat. And we're just trying to survive. But once you lose curiosity, you've stopped living and you started dying. Maybe that's why Jesus said, Do you see this little child? Anyone that wants to enter the kingdom must enter the kingdom like this little child. I wonder if it was the child's curious faith that Jesus was after. That it was the curiosity inside the child to explore in the kingdom, to run up and down the hallways of the palaces of heaven and open the doors and see what's in all the wardrobes and the closets. Exodus 3, 1 through 3, I want to show you one more Occasion in scripture, you're probably familiar with again. But I want you to look at the how, not the what. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. I can hear my kids' voices speaking through that. I'll go over and figure out why there's fire on the stove. Put my hand on it and touch it. Did you, did you hear that? Moses is just kicking around in the desert one day and thing blows up. And he says... Well, that's weird. It's been burning for 15 minutes, but it's still there. And he went over to figure out what was going on. No sign to him yet that God was in it. 
No, no calling. The clouds from heaven didn't open up and say, Moses, I've put a bush there burning that's not being consumed. Go look at it. No, Moses just said, now that's different. And curiosity led Moses to the burning bush that led Moses to God that led him to understand why God put him on earth. Now, I'm just saying to you that as you walk through life, you're going to be kicking around in the desert sometime. And I'm saying that God has put those little burning bushes around you along the way. And if you'll be curious enough, if you'll search, if you'll dig, if you'll look in, if you'll pray, if you'll seek, those little bushes will begin to speak to you. Start asking questions. How do you discern the dream? Look deep. Like a private investigator, just start, as the years go by, just start picking up the clues and putting them in a bag. Don't try to decide what they all mean. Just pick the little pieces of the puzzle up and put them in a bag as evidence. Say, I think, I'm not sure, but I think this was important somehow. And let me give you some questions to ask. If you're taking notes, I'll just give you several pretty fast. Here's the first one. As you're looking inside to discern the dream... Ask yourself the question, what brings me joy? Not happiness. What brings me joy? What what satisfies my soul? What thing that you've done for God seems to be most fulfilling and satisfying inside your soul? The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, somehow or another, we've come through a time in church life... Where, where we've gotten our theology backwards and we've been scared to ever tell God what really brought us joy or, or what we really didn't want to do because we just knew that's what He'd make us do. Scott Wesley Brown in the early 90s wrote a song, Lord, please don't send me to Africa where there's lions and tigers and bears and tarantulas in the hut. Somehow or another, we've got a picture of God that if, if it brings us any internal satisfaction, God don't want any of that. He'll put you in some place you hate. Make you miserable. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to have to do stuff you hate. Well, that's not true. That's not true at all. In 1998, Stacy and I had the opportunity to go to the Netherlands. And we were going to do um, a youth retreat, basically, for all the missionaries' kids in Western Europe. We were over working with with the MKs. And... We had an opportunity, though. I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, one of the missionaries said, hey, we have a Bible college here up in the country about an hour and a half. Why don't we ride up? And, um, and then if you want, we'll let you speak to one of the classes. So we just sat there interview style and shared some ministry things with one of the classes. And then in that class time, there, there was a chance for dialogue. You've got these young students who are preparing for ministry who get to ask questions and engage and It literally was so intoxicating to me. I walked out of there and I said, man, I don't know what that was. But somehow deep in my soul, that interaction with influencing and training young leaders was so fulfilling to me. I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew there was a little burning bush that rolled by and I didn't know what to do with it. And I looked at Stacy on the van on our back and I said, I could do that the rest of my life. 
And that's what those little clues sound like inside. The call of God on your life is not a nightmare, it's a dream. And it'll bring you joy. It won't always be fun, everything won't go right, but there'll be a deep sense inside of you of joy that this is what God made me for. Let me give you another question to ask. What are you good at? Now underneath that umbrella you can put, I'm I'm just weary of of the... semantical discussion on spiritual gifts and all this stuff. What are you good at? Whether it's a spiritual gift or a natural talent or a skill you've developed or blah, 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 blah. Who cares? If it's in you and you can use it for God, like what else matters? I don't have a debate to enter into with anybody who isn't using what they have for God. So what are you good at? What have you become good at? Now, let me just help you a little bit. If you sing like I do, and you think God's called you to the worship ministry, you've missed God. Has American Idol not taught us anything? It doesn't take enormous amounts of discernment to figure out some of this stuff. But what I notice more often than not is I see people that are doing what they're good at, but they don't even realize that it's what God made them for. There's some things you can do. You can take a a spiritual gifts test, find out what God gave you to work with, your talent, your ability. What I find is is that most people have a hard time discovering what they're good at because it comes so natural to them and has come so natural to them most of their life that they assume it comes that easy to everybody. They assume it's a basic skill that everybody has. They say, well, I mean, I, you know, you do, I can't do nothing. What can I do? And you look inside their life, you say, look at this. But because it's been with them most of their life, because it's been inside of you most of their life, it's hard to discern what it is. Since it's natural, it's probably easy, and they don't register that it's a valuable thing. I'm saying to you, to discern the dream... Look at what you're good at. Here's the third question. What excites your study hunger? What do you want to know more about? What, what, are, you, what are you interested? What are you passionate in, in learning more about? I love to read about life transformation. I like to lead, read about leadership, spirituality, church and ministry and culture and personality types. Now, if you talk to me about computer manuals and instruction books and and some assembly required, and which is Greek for possessed of Satan. If you talk to me about those things, I'm just telling you, I have no study hunger for that. But some of you do. You get something, you take it out of the box, and you, you categorize it all over your living room. And you count all the parts to make sure they're all there. God bless you. Come to my house. There's some things you can work on. But that's like not my study hunger. It's not, it's not what, I'm, what I'm interested in. But what you have to find is what's that, what's that curiosity? There's a general curiosity and there's a specific curiosity to you that everybody doesn't have. What is yours? What's your dream job? What's that one thing you look at it and say, man, from Monday to Friday, I could do that right there the rest of my life. I could just overdose on that right there. That might be close to where your dream is. What would you give your life for? What seems so important that you would say, 
I'd give my life for this. How has God spoken to you in the past? How, as you look back over your life, and I just encourage you to do this this afternoon and and, and in the coming week, sit back, look across your life and say, how has God used me before? What are those moments that it seemed like God just showed up? Miraculous moments come in every person's life. Those miracle moments where, where God seems to be dramatically changing things. You've got to be aware of those. You've got to seize those moments because those moments, listen, are not just about God revealing Himself to someone else through you. Those times when God uses you to really touch someone else, great. We are so, when those things first start flowing, we are so excited that God has used someone like us to touch somebody else's life that it usually takes later before we look inside and say, but what does this mean about how God wants to use me in the future? Look back across, ask yourself the question, when are the moments in my life that it seemed like God used me the most? Because here's what was happening. God was not just revealing Himself through you to someone else, he was revealing to you how he wants to reveal himself through you to other people. Does that make sense? So look back, look back over that because God will tend to reveal himself through you in a similar way through uh, patterns. Those patterns will give you discernment for God's plan in your life. Here's another question. What moves you? What injustice do you look at in life and say, that makes me mad. That's wrong. That shouldn't happen. What what do you look at in life and say, that makes me glad? What do you weep over? What moves you to tears? What things do you say, "This, this, this makes me so passionate, it stirs my soul. Now here's the last one. What has God said to you? You take all this together. What has God said to you? Maybe God has spoken so directly to you that it's, it's impossible to avoid. You just know. Maybe He hasn't. Maybe it just comes through clues. But what, what are the kind of things that God has talked to you about? If you're taking notes, write this down. A spirit-led life is on a collision course with God's dream. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed wanting to know too much or everything at once or the big picture or the dream or whatever that we fail to just act on what we know for now. Look, there's a lot of teaching out, you know, start with the end in mind and see the big picture and work your way backwards and all this stuff. That's great. The only problem is God never promised to show us all that. I don't know what my life will look like at 70 or 80 or 90. I have no foggy idea. So what I have to do in the meantime is like follow the Holy Spirit and trust that 
as I'm picking up these clues and discerning and hearing, if I keep following Him, I am set on a head-on collision for His dream for my life. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's some stuff you and I aren't going to know. But, but what do we do? We work with what we have. The further I get down the road in this journey, the more I realize the nature of God's dream. When I was 16 years old, I, I, I preached the first time. And I couldn't remember how nervous I was. I called little church we went to. It was about 35 people on a good day. And I called the pastor. I was so nervous. You know, I picked the phone up and put it down. No, I can't call. Put it down. I'd pace the floor. Try to figure out what to do. Hands were sweaty. Couldn't get my brain straight. I thought, this is the stupidest thing I ever thought of. And I can remember picking up the phone and calling him and saying, hey, look, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry I'm even asking. This is dumb. Look, I, I just felt like God put a sermon on. I've never done this in my life. I don't even know why I'm talking to you about it. And look, would you, you know, if you could use me anytime, anywhere, I'm, I'm, I'd do it. But I just want you to know, and I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, how about this Sunday? I said, are you kidding me? And so I hung the phone up and went, wow, that's great. They went, oh, no, what am I going to do? And I started to pray, God, please talk to me. Please talk to me. If you've ever talked to anyone, talk to me now. Put something in my brain to say. And then when I was 18, I led my first youth group. And I would say, God, okay, I'm going to lead this group for four or five months. Lord, what do I do? Show me what to do. And then after Bible college, I went and, and led my first full-time youth ministry. By that time, my language had evolved. And I said, God, give me your vision. Give me your dream for this group. Now listen to me. As I was in the infant stages of my Christianity, God knew my heart and kept moving me along the same way He will you. But what I was asking for... And I didn't know how to say it was God's vision, God's dream, God's plan for the people, for the people that he had put me to work with. The problem is that kind of dreaming divorces the dream from the dreamer. I just wanted him to show me what to do and then, and then I would give myself to it fully and he would come and touch it and multiply it. I didn't know that those dreams had anything to do with what he wanted to work on in me. As I go along though, I realize two things. God wants to do more through you than you think, but it'll take longer than you think. The other one is, God doesn't want to just give you a dream for this moment. He doesn't want to give you a dream for this group. He doesn't want to give you a dream for this time period or this station in life. He wants to give you a dream for your life. But that dream will only be discerned as you move through the seasons and stations of life. What will happen is, is that dream will start out real broad. If for me it was, I've called you to full-time ministry, I thought. What did I do? Me? But as I go along, that dream, as I go through seasons of life and pick clues up and keep discerning and keep hearing and keep reflecting and keep looking, that dream keeps narrowing down and narrowing down and narrowing down and narrowing down. And I can see God's hand all the way through it. 
I can see now from this point of my life the, a better idea of what he's been working on all along. And every now and then I look back and I get a chuckle and I say, you knew that. You knew that the whole time, didn't you? Yeah, I didn't know it. I couldn't see it. I was just following God. How do you discern your dream? <laughs> Curiosity will lead you to the burning bushes of life. And the Holy Spirit will help you discern. But ask those questions about what God wants to do in your life. And that dream will take shape and narrow. And you'll re- What I kept early on, I have to confess to you, I lived in the fear that somehow I was going to miss something. I mean, I've got to know the whole plan from now to death, and I've got to know it now. That's me. I like that. I want the big picture. I want the whole shot. I want it right now, and I'll sell out to it, God. But what God didn't want to do is just give you a picture that works on everything around you. He wants to paint a picture on your soul that works on you and through you to everything around you. It's transformational to you. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. But he did it anyway. Ask our musicians to come. Hannah, in the Old Testament, if you remember this story, she was a, a young wife who the Bible says was, um, couldn't have babies. And another lady kept making fun of her because she couldn't have any children. But Hannah would go before the Lord regularly and she would pray and she would bring that thing that was squashing her spirit, the thing that was burdening her soul, she would bring it to God over and over and over again and weep. And I want to show you what I think God wants to do. As you take your burden to God, He will do one of two things. He will either remove that burden so you can see the dream, or He will turn that burden into the dream. Hannah prayed, God, I want to have children. God gave her a son, Samuel the prophet, who anointed Saul king over Israel and anointed David king over Israel and became the mouthpiece of God for generations. God's dream was to have a prophet in Israel. He took Hannah's burden turned it into the dream and after that she had three more sons and two daughters God will either move the burden so you can see the dream or he'll turn the burden into the dream